0: This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is South Paul. Come gather round, children. It's high time he learns about a hero named Homer and a devil named Burns. We'll march till we drop the girls and the fellas. We'll fight till the death or else fold like umbrellas.
1: Smithers get me some strike breakers, the
2: kind they had in the 30s. Today on Southpaw, we have MMA fighter slash MMA organizer slash fighter for the people, Leslie Smith. Hi, Leslie. Hi. So to catch everyone up, you were a UFC fighter in the top 10 up until April of 2018. And you've been with them since April of 2014, right? Yeah. It was basically four years almost to the day, and now you're no longer with the UFC. So I know you've explained this a billion times, but briefly, can you explain what happened?
1: Yeah. I started a union organizing drive in February called Project Spearhead. I started that in February of 2018. And as I was preparing for my fight, I was sharing information about it and recruiting other fighters to join this union organizing effort. And we were even getting some steam. Um, Chris Cyborg had just posted that, uh, that all the women should definitely be signed up for Project Spearhead. And so that was wonderful to have a sitting champion encouraging people to be part of it. But then I was scheduled for a fight. And my opponent did not make weight, and it was supposed to be in New Jersey. So we had signed a New Jersey State Athletic Commission bout agreement, and their bout agreement said that if I made weight and passed my medicals and was ready and willing to fight, but the contract didn't go through because the other fighter wasn't, then I was entitled to all the money shown above and that was both my show and my win money. So when my opponent um, didn't make weight, I was like, "Man, I'm so glad that I actually read my contract because if I hadn't, I wouldn't I wouldn't have known if I had just been like, "Yeah, I'll sign it, whatever. I wouldn't have known anything." And um, and so before I even really thought everything through, I was walking out and I saw a reporter, and the reporter, was like what are you thinking and I was like well I don't really know yet but this is kind of the way that my mind's going and so she took um, whatever I said and then she shared it with the UFC and everybody else she's a reporter that's her job and then when I came back at 11 to talk to the UFC about what I wanted to do they were like we already heard what you wanted two more fights $200,000 each they were like we're not going to negotiate with you we're just going to cut you and we're going to pay you um to not fight and I was like wait (laughs) that's not what I asked for a and b I want to keep fighting like I'm not I'm not trying to just get paid and then leave and they were like yeah no the fight's off And here you go. And so after that, I filed charges with the National Labor Relations Board because the National Labor Relations Act is there to protect not just people who are in unions, but people who are trying to start unions. Because worker intimidation and retaliation against people who try to organize for unions is probably just as American as starting unions and being a part of a union. <laughs> the history of it definitely goes back just as far, maybe even further the the anti-union sentiment compared to the pro-union sentiment. So my charges were uh, we won when we were being evaluated by the merits of the case in accordance with the law. But then, after District 4 said that we won, less than 24 hours later, the District of Advice in Washington, D.C., they pulled back that decision and they um, commandeered our case, basically, and sat on it for a couple months before finally um, before dismissing it, which was a super big bummer. It also, coincidentally, was right around the same time that the UFC put out a big propaganda video on the friendship between the the president of the UFC, Dana White, and the president of the United States, Donald Trump.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, the combatant in chief.
1: Yeah, it was right at the same time as that came out. And um, they talked about how they had some three-hour meeting right after... Oh, that was also when they brought the belt, Colby Covington and the belt into the White House. <laughs> so, so that's kind of where we're at right now. That's where I'm at right now is, um, you know, I did, I did what I thought I needed to do. because it was the right thing to do. And I did get the law behind me. And then some strings got pulled. I strongly believe some strings got pulled. And, and here I am.
2: Well, to give uh, the listeners some context, right? Right before this, you had fought Cyborg at a catchweight when she didn't even have a division yet. Nobody wanted to fight her. Then after that, you won two more fights, one of them being a fight of the night against Irene Aldana, and then then they cut you. So it just definitely sounds like a Mr. Burns kind of move from The Simpsons.
1: Yeah, totally. And you're right. One of them was against Aldana, and that was a fight of the night. And then the one right after that was a second round standing TKO um, up against the cage with elbows. And I am also, I don't know how into statistics you or anybody else is, but I do hold the record in the UFC for the highest number of significant strikes per minute at a rate of like 7.6, something like that. Uh, Chris Cyborg is also on that list. And so is Max Holloway. And so is, I think Andrade, just, um, I'm not sure. But there's a, yeah, you know, it's it's not a one-to-one as far as exciting fighters go that you're going to be on that list if you're an exciting fighter, but it is a pretty good indicator that you are the type of fighter that is exciting that people really want to see.
0: Yeah, it's good company to be in.
1: Super good company to be in. I love it every time someone shares that little graphic. I'm like... (laughs) <laughs> there's all of us. <laughs> yeah, all the
2: action fighters.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: So with the NLRB and with Project Spearhead, it seems like it's a legal inquiry to discover what your employment status is if you guys are statutory employees.
1: Yeah, well, Region 4 said yes, we are statutory employees, or they found my claim that we are statutory employees to have merit is the proper terminology. But I mean, right now, the National Labor Relations Board, the head of it is Peter Robb, and he was chosen by the Trump administration. And not only is the Trump administration not very union or worker friendly, but um, he's also friends with Dana White. And so it's really not a very far leap. I mean, I, I realize that there's people out there who are like, oh, Leslie Smith is so full of herself. She thinks that she lost because the president of the United States was sitting there talking to her old boss. She thinks that they're just saying her name and gosh, she just thinks she's so special. Well, look, I don't think that I'm that special. I mean, I do. I do think I'm (laughs) special, (laughs) but it's really not that far of a reach to think that that's what happened. And maybe they weren't sitting there saying my name. But they were definitely talking about how there is a charge that could disrupt the entire business model of the UFC. That's a $7 billion company. That's a lot of money. That's worth calling in favors and talking to people about it. And there's also the fact that once the UFC sports entertainment business model, that if that gets, when that gets unionized, that that's going to reach over and it's going to have implications for the WWE for professional wrestling as well, because they have a very similar, very high profile sports and entertainment thing going on. And then it also has a lot of significance right now, completely independent of any kind of combat sports. There are uh it's like 36% of Americans, according to a Gallup poll. That's 57 million people are part of the gig economy. And that's like the freelancers and the hustlers and the independent workers. And it's also the people who work for Uber and um Uber Eats and like a lot of these different crowdsourced uh apps that have put a lot of people to work. Well, that's also an issue for them is that companies don't want to classify them as employees because they want to save the money on the social security and the unemployment taxes. And they they just, I mean, who does want to pay those things? If someone can get away with not paying those things, um, it seems like that would be a smarter business model for them, other than the part where it's illegal. <laughs>
0: So just to go back a bit, could you explain for our listeners what is a statutory employee?
1: Yeah, a statutory employee is somebody who is an employee, no matter what they're classified as. So the UFC classifies all the fighters as independent contractors, which is different from people who are part of a league like the NBA or baseball or football. Those are all sports leagues. And the athletes that are on the various teams, they are employees of those teams, and they have players associations. Well, they're called associations, but they're unions. They've negotiated collective bargaining agreements on the behalf of the players with the league. And so they've gotten things like the bare minimum um, benefits and retirement funds And protected the rights of the different athletes that they're representing. So the UFC, the way that they set their whole business model up was that they bring in fighters, but fighters are not employees. And since they're not employees, they do not have the right to unionize. So they don't get to have any kind of a say at all in any of the policies that the UFC puts out. And it's not that hard to see right off the bat why the UFC would want that. We already talked about the money, but then there's things like just decisions that are going to affect the fighters. It's nice for the UFC to be able to have the power to change them unilaterally without having to talk to anybody else ever, not even the people who it affects. Like Remember when they first switched the weigh-ins over to the early morning weigh-ins and everyone was like, gosh, that sucks. Like, Why are you going to switch things up on this And you know who it messed up a lot were the established fighters who already had their rhythm because people are adaptable, whatever, whatever is in front of them, fighters, especially they're going to figure out how to, how to work with it and how to do a good job with it. But then people, you know, they were missing because they were already so good at doing it with the night before they already had all their systems in place. And so then Dana White wanted to change it back, and he just made up the facts that he was trying to quote. He was like, oh yeah, all the fighters asked me. They're all complaining. Everyone says that they want to go back to the um, afternoon weigh-ins. And uh, so many fighters came out of the woodwork saying, no, that's not what we want. No, that's wrong. Like, we want to keep these early morning weigh-ins. and.'" People are still doing the morning thing, which is good. They should definitely have that extra time. But that's just another example of how fighters really don't have a say in any of this stuff. And it's things that they really need to have a say in. And as long as they don't have a say, then somebody else who cares more about their interests than the fighters' interests is going to try to use that power that the fighters don't have. And they're going to try to control the voice that the fighters don't have to their own agenda. And that's not right. The fighters need to be able to further their own agenda.
0: Yeah, Dana Trump at it again, just making up facts as he goes along.
2: Well, Dana White famously has compared the UFC, like saying that he doesn't want to compete against other combat sports, that he wants to compete against the big boys, right? Like the NBA, the NFL. But it seems like The way the fighters are treated, is closer to amateur sports where they don't get paid on their image and likeness. They don't get much of a say. Yeah. Yet this is happening at the pro level.
1: Totally. It really is. um, It's amazing that it goes on and that it's been going on and that the fighters aren't, um, that they're not willing to go out and make a really big difference. I mean, there's been lots of support behind the scenes. And I'm really appreciative for it. Uh, We were definitely on track for having the necessary amount. Okay, so that's what Project Spirit was doing is they were getting authorization cards signed as a showing of interest. And then once we had enough authorization cards, then we're going to take them to the National Labor Relations Board and have them use a third party to verify all those signatures. And then after that, Then they would recognize that um, since everybody wants a union, then they would evaluate the fighters, the way that they're treated and the control that they have over their career. Because that's the main indicator is how much control does a person have over their own career? If they have a lot of control over it, like they can take whatever contracts they want and they can do as much as they want or as little as they want, then they're independent contractors. But when they don't have control over their careers, when they can't take alternative contracts, when they cannot choose to work as much or as little as they want, and the fighters don't have that choice, except for Cowboy Cerrone, nobody gets to fight as much as they want to. He's really the only person who gets those opportunities. Do you have any idea how frustrating it is? To hear the UFC being like, oh, my God, he's so amazing. <laughs> Nobody else fights as much as Cowboy. Look at what a game fighter he is. Look at how crazy he is. To just sit there and watch that and be like, dude, I'll fight. I'll, I'll, I'll fight. Like I, I'll fight that many times. What's your figure on him this time? Five fights in four months. I'm like, okay, I'll do it too. Just give me the chance. But the UFC doesn't give people those chances. And the people can't do it because they don't have control over it because they're employees.
2: Exactly. One thing I've always wondered is similar to your fight with Aspen Ladd, like what happens? Let's say one of you had uh, flipped and hit their head and the fight got canceled like last minute, the day of. Now, do you guys still get paid something or is that all at the discretion of the UFC? Because as an employee, right, you would have some kind of rights. Mm -hmm. I have to get paid this much. But- They're classifying you guys as uh, contractors. What happens there? Is it discretionary what they pay you at that point? Or or is there some kind of actual rule?
1: No, it's totally discretionary unless a fighter has gotten it inside of their contract that they signed without getting something inside of their contract. And the UFC is certainly not just throwing fighter-friendly clauses inside of their contract. That's something that an individual fighter would have to fight for. Yeah, it's totally at the UFC's discretion. So lots of times they just give a fighter $10,000 and they're like, here you go. We'll give you another chance to fight.
0: Whoa. So what happens to the Reebok pay?
1: Oh, yeah. You don't get that either. You don't get the Reebok pay unless you go through the entire fight week and then you weigh in and you rep the Reebok for everything. So the fighter just gets screwed. (laughs) like if if they don't um and it's not like that's unusual either it's not unusual for a fighter to pass out on the scale or to get hurt during their weight cut and to have to pull out from the fight i mean i would have thought that that would have been like one of the very first rallying points but the thing is is that nobody thinks that it's going to happen to them everyone is like oh yeah no i'm going to go have the very best fight and i'm going to win all the bonuses And everything's going to work out fine. Of course, my opponent's going to make it. And of course, I'm going to be just fine. Like, despite the overwhelming statistical indications that everything is not going to be just fine, (laughs) people still want to think that it is, which is fine. They're fighters. I get it. That That is the mentality that a person has to have in order to go be successful and to win a bunch of fights is to only focus on the things that one can control and then do the very best at those.
2: But it does seem like the worst of all worlds where you don't have the freedom of a contractor, but you don't get the rights of an employee either.
1: Exactly. You are hitting it on the head.
2: So here's my other question then. If you're in a main event non-title fight, you're possibly fighting two extra rounds, right? Yes. I heard they give you a little bit extra, like 25,000 or something. Is that correct?
1: I think that it depends on the individual and what they negotiate. Yes, they do do a little bit extra, but man, that ought to be exponentially larger. If you think about it, the people who are fighting in the main events, even if it's not a title fight, they're pretty freaking badass. if they're fighting in the title fight. Okay. So if that's a five round fight, you've seen how rough it is for people at the end of three rounds. So, you take somebody who's already fought a full three rounds and then you put them inside of the cage with the most dangerous people inside of the UFC while they're already in a depleted state. Like that's a lot to ask for somebody. Those last two rounds are like 10 of the first three rounds. Because if you think about it, like anybody can run up the stairs, whatever set of stairs, anybody could do it. But Are they going to be able to run up those stairs after they've been awake for two days and just ran a marathon? Like that's going to make it a whole lot harder. Well, those last two rounds, they don't just come after the third round. They come after the person has already fought a marathon basically after they've already taken all the damage. I mean, there's people going to the hospital after three rounds and then we're going to ask these guys going against the toughest people to fight another two rounds when someone else should be going to the hospital, like they should be getting so much more money for that.
2: That's been a talking point for Justin Gaethje, who I think since he signed with the UFC has only been fighting like five round non-title main events. And he's like, the way I fight, you can't have me fight two extra rounds because I'm going to get damaged a lot and pay me so little to do two more extra rounds.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: So switching gears a little bit, Andrew Yang was recently in your neck of the woods and you welcomed him to your city. He spoke about how the UFC fighters receive only 10 to 15% of the revenue as compared to about 50% in other sports and even higher for boxing pay-per-views. And that he would apply the ALI Act to MMA so that fighters can unionize. How did you first connect with him?
1: He reached out to me when I was in the middle of my Project Spearhead organizing And he said that he believes that the fighters deserve protection and that they shouldn't be bullied. And um, he had some really good suggestions for me. And then he wrote them all out and sent them to me in an email the very next day. It was pretty impressive. It was very cool that somebody was reaching out and taking an interest, somebody outside of the MMA bubble who could recognize that what's happening there is not right.
2: It seems like that's something that shows that he's just doing this because he cares about the sport and cares about fighting for the people because he really didn't get much benefit out of trying to help MMA fighters.
1: Yeah, totally. And again, it's also a big indicator of what the future is going to be like for independent contractors who are fighting to get more rights. One of the things that Andrew Yang has been talking about is that the future is going to be rife with automation and artificial intelligence taking over a lot of the various jobs that people have been counting on for a long time. And so that's really going to change the face of employment a lot in the United States. It's going to create a lot more people who have to hustle and freelance and do independent work. And so recognizing that there's already issues for employers taking advantage of their people is uh, is going to go a long ways toward fixing those issues before even more people get dumped into the gig economy dumped or jumped either way
0: (laughs) I absolutely agree with Andrew Yang and both Sam and I are big supporters he mentioned that he would bring the Ali Act to MMA so could you briefly explain to us and our listeners what the Ali Act is
1: Yeah, the Ali Act, it was applied to boxing about 16 or 17 years ago in Muhammad Ali's name, and it basically serves to protect boxers because everyone knows that promoters can be a little bit greedy and inconsiderate of the combat athletes. So it serves to protect the boxers, and it's got a couple different aspects to it. One of them is that it prevents any really long-term contracts. So no contracts that are over 12 months long, one year. It also requires that an outside body be in charge of the rankings. And so how these things would affect the UFC is the UFC signs people to nine fight contracts. for. A, they also have a time period that goes along with it. The longest contract I had with the UFC was for four years excuse me, four fights. And I think that it was 18 months for four fights. And so I don't have the ability, or I didn't have the ability to fight for anybody else on anything that was going to be televised or broadcast or taped or shared. Basically anything that's going to pay any money. (laughs) Yeah, for as long as that contract is in effect. And I can't cancel it. It's only the UFC who can cancel it. So other people signing nine nine fight contracts, I I don't know how long those ones would last.
2: I have one last question for you because I know you got to run. You talked about this before, but you said the UFC is different from other MMA organizations that in the UFC, you guys really are statutory employees and it might be different for other uh, organizations. Why is the UFC or how is the UFC different from other MMA organizations?
1: Ah, well, the two biggest factors that make the UFC different, maybe three biggest factors. One is the uniforms that all the fighters have to wear, that the UFC controls the uniforms. Um, Another one is the constant supervision that the fighters are under as a result of the USADA program. I don't know if everyone realizes this, but the way that the fight drug testing program works is that the fighters have to give all of their information all the time to USADA. And USADA can show up anytime, anywhere. They can show up at two o'clock in the morning. They usually show up around six o'clock in the morning, but they can (laughs) show up. Yeah. They can show up anywhere at any time. And if they decide that they want to test you and they try to show up wherever and you are not there, then that's a whereabouts failure. And if you get three of those, then you are suspended for two years. So the supervision is a really big thing. Um, And then there's also just the amount of money that they're making. The amount of money that they're making is so much more than how much anybody else is making. And for them to just refuse to take the fighters into consideration when making these major decisions that are going to affect the fighters is crazy like when they switch the fights from las vegas to la <laughs> dude that is so crazy it's inside the contract that they can but you know how much money that cost everybody just right off the top the taxes that got involved uh, not not even to count the different people who signed up for flights and hotel rooms in las vegas i mean probably each one of those fighters had at least $20,000 worth of uh, friends and families flights and tickets and reservations that had to get canceled. Like that is so much money. And um, (laughs) yeah. And they just, they don't have control over that, but sorry, we were talking about the three reasons that uh, the UFC is different from the other promotions. And so yeah, the amount of money and the um, uniforms and the supervision are the three main factors.
2: It also seems like UFC is much more exclusive than some of the other promotions. Like, you know, like with Bellator, they'll let you kickbox or they'll try to co promote with other organizations. Whereas UFC, that's it. You just do that one thing, unless you're Connor.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. The inter fights or just possibilities. That are available in the other promotions, they are not in the UFC. Good point.
2: That does seem like the running theme. They never look for consent from the fighters. They're like, we're going to make these decisions for you. We're going to go to LA instead of uh, Vegas, or we're going to move venues. We don't need your permission.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep.
2: All right. Well, thank you, Leslie. So, where can people find you and more about Project Spearhead?
1: Ah, well, Project Spearhead, they can just go to projectspearhead.com and there is a website right there. Encourage your UFC fighter friends to sign up, please. And then to follow me, I'm on Twitter at Leslie Smith underscore GF. The GF is for Gracie Fighter. And then um I'm on Instagram too, Leslie Smith MMA. I like to make it really easy by having a different name for every single <laughs> social media account.
2: We'll add all of that in the show notes, but just wanted to tell you we really appreciate you being on the show but also respect and admire everything that you're doing for the sport and just all the sacrifices you're making
1: oh that's so nice of you to say i appreciate it a whole lot well thanks a whole lot for making time for me on this show it was an honor to get to talk to you guys
0: thank you thank you so much hope to do this again soon
1: Yeah, totally. I look forward to it. Maybe we can talk after uh, you go to the next Andrew Yang rally down in L.A. Okay.
2: You know, my last name is Yang also, so I'm always tweeting at him that we're cousins, but he doesn't believe me.
1: (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Maybe you can tell him in person at the next uh, rally.